hands at the end of the week here and, and just to lift up Jesus and to let us all go this week with something of Jesus to, to feast on and to meditate on. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now, I am uh, proceeding through different aspects of the cross that in no real particular order. I am sure that someone much more spiritual than I would have a great order of which, by which to explain. First, you need to understand this by the cross, and then you need to understand this. I just started with what seemed the easiest, which was substitution, because that's like the most basic thing that all of us could probably grasp to some degree. So we've been talking mostly about the cross in relationship to bad stuff, cross in relationship to sin. The cross in relationship to the sin nature. The cross in relationship to the law, you know, which makes us sin. I'm going to um, back off from all of that a little bit, and we're going to talk about just the cross in relationship to the flesh and the spirit. And I know that probably most of us who were raised in church circles may think, yeah, the flesh. The flesh is evil. You know, and that the cross deals with the flesh. But there are many ways in which the flesh is not evil at all. Okay, and um, as a matter of fact, I'll read you this verse, and you don't have to turn here if, if you don't want to, but I will give it you the reference anyway. It's our Romans one three. <clears throat> Paul's talking of the gospel of God, and he says concerning his Son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So, Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, a famous author once said. God likes matter. After all, he created it. Okay? There wouldn't even be flesh and matter if God didn't get a hankering for it. Okay? He, that, it was all his idea. That he thought it all up. There's only spirit before he made flesh, before he made the material world. And um, <clears throat> so I want to talk about the flesh and the spirit, not in relationship to how evil the flesh is necessarily. So I just want to really remove that thought but in reference to how the cross did do away with one creation and brought us into another and he he really did transfer us out of a a flesh creation and put us into a brand new creation okay and that's what i want to talk about today is in reference to flesh and spirit um to do that uh let's go to second corinthians chapter five start there and i've got a lot of passages today. I hope I get to them all because they're all really great. Oops, that's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And we looked at that when we looked at Romans chapter 6 and identification and all that stuff. Okay? Verse 15. And that he died for all, that they who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but live unto him who died for them and rose again. Okay? We looked at that too, also in Romans chapter 6. He put us to death in his death, and we were made to live because of his resurrection. We're in Christ, so whatever true of him is true of us. Okay? So he's recapping here. Now look at verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. Okay? So Paul is equating the cross with something that's been done away. And something that is new that doesn't necessarily have to do with sin at all, okay? Um, this passage doesn't mention sin in the least. This passage mentions death and life, and it mentions flesh in contrast to a new creation, 
Okay. Um, he says here that because the cross happened, because we have been put to death in Christ and made to live in Christ, there is a way of seeing one another and seeing Christ that has changed or ought to change. Okay. We used to know one another after the flesh. We used to know Christ after the flesh, but because we've embraced the cross, we don't know people after the flesh anymore. We don't even know Jesus after the flesh anymore. Now, this is pretty interesting because Jesus came in the flesh. I mean, one of the basic tenets of Christianity is what? The incarnation. Incarnate, the incarnation means to be made flesh. The word carnal, carne, carnation, that's all about flesh, being made human with flesh and bones, skin and blood, okay? Breath and all that stuff, okay? So Jesus did come in the flesh, He did come in the flesh. The only difference between Judaism and Christianity is Jesus coming in the flesh. That's what makes all the difference in the world. And if there's been one thing I've been pounding home to us, this term, it's that we needed Jesus to come in the flesh. It needed to be his death. The cross is all about his death. It's not even about our death. It's about his death. And as we're brought into him, it becomes our death. But he's the one that did all the dying. His death was the one that was accepted. I didn't care about our death as far as it doesn't really do anything for him. He's not pleased because you kicked the bucket at 85. He's like, oh, good, you died. No, that's, he's, he's impressed with the son's death. It's the son's death that makes all the difference. Okay, it's the son's death that brings all of one reality to an end and brings forth a whole new creation. It's the son's death that, that paid the penalty for sins. It's the son's death that put to death the old nature. And caused us to be able to be raised up and live again. It's the son's death that brought us out of the marriage to the law and caused us to be married to him to bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, it's all it's all the son's death that matters. It's not just death; it's his death. Okay, and um, I'm really laying this groundwork because there is a time that his death begins to work in us and we start doing some dying. But as long as that dying is about me needing to die to things, we've really messed up the whole idea of, of Jesus's death. Okay, you don't need to die to anything. You're already dead. Well, I don't feel dead. I feel like everything's alive and kicking and needs to die. No, the word of God says you're already dead. I mean, we just read it. Now, I realize that your feelings and your experience and your thoughts and mine too um, say exactly the opposite of that. Anyone say amen? (laughs) Okay, but there's this point that comes in the life of a believer who really wants to know Jesus where you have to make a decision. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe you or are you going to believe him? Because you will find your mind and your actions and your emotions in direct contradiction to his cross. Okay. And we get all messed up and thinking, well, I need to fix something in me or be better so that I can show that I'm dead or something. I don't, we get all messed up. It is a coming to his cross and acknowledging it's finished work totally apart from you in that you didn't do it. You could never have done it. He did it, and your part is to believe into it, and you participate, okay? Until that is fully established in you, there's really not any point in trying to, like, lay down your life for others in this sense. I mean, you can if you'd like, but there's always going to be this element of I'm dying because I need to die because something's wrong with me. And all I'm saying is you don't need to die. As far as God was concerned, you were already dead in sin before Jesus ever came. You don't need to die. You were separated from God apart from Jesus. You were dead to God and dead in sin. And when Jesus puts you in himself and died, now you're dead to sin and alive unto God. Okay? So you don't need to 
have things and you die off. And I'm, I'm not trying to split theological hairs and make you nervous to share with me because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm really trying to explain to you how important it is for all of us to come to the spiritual realization that no matter how you act or what you know or don't know or what manifests through you, you are dead with Christ. And nothing's changing until you believe into it. And in some ways, that's so easy. And in some ways, that's such a mystery to us. But as we let our minds get washed with the, with the living word of God, we will begin to find ourselves able to believe into it. Okay? That's, that's why you're here. In case you didn't know, and you just came to Bible school and didn't know, that's what we do here. We believe that the mind needs to be renewed. And so when I'm up here saying stuff, and you have other teachers, too, who are up here saying stuff, we're not saying measure up, get more knowledge so you can be deep. We're saying... Let, let's, let's wash you with an overflow of Christ so that you can become who you already are. So you can know what already is true of Jesus and of you. Okay? So here we're looking at an aspect of the cross that has really is not even dealing with sin. It's dealing with flesh. Okay? Now, now flesh, we do sin in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh meaning he was a person. Okay? As a person, you've sinned. Maybe you did today. Maybe you will at 5.30 after your class is over. You know, whatever. In the flesh, you, you sin. You do things that you shouldn't do, and the blood of Jesus is there for you. That's First John 1, about 3 through 11, right in there. Blood of Jesus is there for that, okay? In your flesh, you sin. But in Christ, there is no sin. In Christ, there's just Christ. And if you believe into that... His life into Christ, his life, the life of Christ, flows through you. Now, in the flesh poses a certain amount of problems because only in the flesh does the sin sin start showing up. Only in the flesh, as we live in the flesh, does the law pose a problem for us. Only in the flesh can we be made separate from God. So can you see what a problem would be to just live in the flesh? <laughs> I'm not saying be, be bad. I'm saying just live in the flesh. So just... You know, you can be living in the flesh as a believer and not necessarily sin, okay? But living in the flesh is a creation that's totally separate from God. I'm going to show you. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. Um, The point being that I'm trying to make, you have the cross who made us dead and then alive unto God. Whatever you are in the flesh was put to death. Hi, I'm Mallory Patrick. I'm X years old. This is my favorite flavor of ice cream. You know, I have a problem with such and such. My strong points and talents are such and such. You know, I like to hang out with this type of personality type. This is what I like to do in my spare time. My biggest regret in life is X. The physical problems that I have are such and such and so and so. I'm insecure about da da da. And you can just go right down the list. And I haven't even said anything sinful. But that's all Mallory after the flesh. All of it, okay? And if, you know, Nicole comes to me and says, or says about me, she meets me and she says, I don't like Mallory because she has this fault, and I don't like going out to eat ice cream with her because she always has kind of ice cream and it makes me want to gag, okay? So I'm going to avoid Mallory because I don't like her fault and I don't like her choice in ice cream, okay? Now, usually it's bigger things than that, you know. She is knowing me after the flesh. On one level, you could say, don't blame her. That's her preference, that's totally okay. This fault of mine makes her uncomfortable, makes her feel bad, and this kind of ice cream makes her sick to her stomach. So that would be a natural, and the world will tell you this. You need to find people you're compatible with. So you have to know someone out of the flesh, know how you get along, know how you don't get along, weigh the pros and cons, and fill your life with people you're compatible with. Okay? And the church world does this too. 
Amen? Does it not? Okay. Well, we know Jesus the same way. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus wore robe and sandals. He had a beard because all Jews had beards. They weren't allowed to shave. You know. Jesus um, you know, always said, verily, verily, I say unto you, every time he said something. <laughs> you know, Jesus, and, you know, Jesus healed the blind man. Jesus, you know, raised the paralytic. Jesus, you know, healed Peter's mother. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. And everything we know about Jesus is about something outward, something that he did in his flesh. Did he sin? No. But Paul says that there's a necessity to not know Jesus after the flesh. Well, what should we do? Throw out the Gospels? No. That's not the answer. The answer is to let the Holy Spirit teach us who Jesus is and not have our minds tell us who Jesus is. Because our minds will naturally know him after the flesh. And why is this? Because the mind gathers its information from your eyes and from your ears. What you experience. And anything that you experience is something after the flesh. Not necessarily sinful. It could be Jesus that you've experienced with your flesh. Right? It could be. But Paul is saying that there is a shift in creation from flesh to something else. And therefore a shift in knowledge. From knowing someone after the flesh to knowing them after this new creation. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but when I first heard that, I felt totally at sea. I'm like, well, then how the heck do you know anything? You know, because this is all I know. Well, thank you, Holy Spirit, for, you know, yeah, for just being so excited to lift up Jesus. That's what he loves to do, okay? So we see the need to be transferred in our understanding. Since we've already been transferred out of a flesh creation into a new creation, there is a need for our minds to be transferred out of a flesh knowledge into a new creation knowledge. Okay, I'm not even talking about sin at this point. This is totally just people relationships. If you want to put it like that, people relating. Um, old things are passed away. Well, go, go back to my, my example with Nicole and me. Every time she sees me and I have that fault, she just cringes like, oh, I hate people do that. You know, and, oh, she, and she can say, all Mallory wants to do is have ice cream socials. And I never go because I don't like ice cream. You know? <laughs> well... If she, if Christ were being formed in her, okay, and the Lord were leading us to have some kind of contact, she would choose not to know me that way. She would say, and I'm, I'm just saying it, and only the Spirit can really make this real, okay? I'm just giving this as an example. You know, Mallory is one with Christ. No matter how much she manifests separation from Christ, she's still one. She's forgiven. She's been washed in the blood. And she may never know it. <laughs> and she may never manifest it. But I'm going to believe it for her. See, and I'm going to hold on to her. And I'm going to treat her like she's one, even if she doesn't even treat herself like she's one. Now, that's not knowing someone after the flesh and recognizing that all things are passed away. You see what I'm saying? And maybe you still can't hang with the ice cream thing. But, but that faith union reality, even if you have nothing in common in the earth or you clash in personalities, can, will, that knowledge, that, that spiritual new creation knowledge shows that you've passed in your understanding from flesh to spirit. You see, and that's something which, which is so cool about that is that that's not something that's required of you on an earth standard. I mean, if you're just going to hang out with people, no one's going to ever ask this of you. Okay, this is this requires a true seeing of Christ by revelation, a true under a spiritual understanding of the cross, because you won't even know, frankly, at least maybe I should just speak for myself. 
I don't even know when I'm doing this because I'm still oblivious and just I'm so used to going after my own preferences. I don't even know when I'm doing it. It takes the Holy Spirit to show me, oh my gosh, I'm avoiding this person because, and maybe not even consciously avoiding, but I just steer clear of so-and-so because I don't like to take the trouble because of this quirk. Or, you know, I just don't like being around so-and-so because they always put me down and make my feelings, hurt my feelings, so I don't want to be around them anymore. This person's always bossy and I don't want to, so I'll just invite, you know, someone else I like to spend time with me. You know, I just do these things and it's the most natural thing and it doesn't feel sinful doesn't feel wrong. And I'm not saying you're supposed to go out and just be nice to everyone you hate and can't stand and make you feel awful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a spiritual... So don't go from one to the other because they're both works of the flesh, okay? Doing what feels good to you and then like being super sacrificial and giving your body to be burned without love. Both of them profit nothing, okay? The point is to see Jesus and whoever he's knitting you with, whoever who's ever, whoever he's put in your life and you've, you've been put in theirs, that's where you're supposed to learn Christ. And to learn Christ there, you know, not, not learn Christ somewhere else, <laughs> you know, or not learn Christ, you know, by finding someone else in your life. You, you, the Lord's leading you. And if you are in tune with him, you'll be, become aware of what he's trying to do in you and how he's trying to conform you to the image of the Son. So we have this transference that's happened with the, flat, with the cross where he's, he's taken us out of a flesh creation. Well, that's kind of crazy because there's flesh all over the place in here. You know, we're all flesh, but there's a spiritual way of relating. And I want to um, give you the, a better example of it. Let's turn to First um, Corinthians chapter 15. I love this chapter. We're going to read um, a good bit of this chapter. So we're going to start in verse 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not made alive, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou soweth not that body that shall be, but a bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed its own body. Now, skip down to verse 42, please. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Okay? So one is natural. That's flesh. And then one is spirit. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, we haven't even talked about sin yet, have we? Not, not at all. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. However, that was not first which is spiritual, but which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Okay, there's a lot of depth here. And if you didn't follow it all, I don't blame you. Um, but I'm, I'm going to try and explain to you now the purpose of transferring from flesh to spirit and the, the function that flesh played in the whole thing. Now, I started the whole class with Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. Perhaps while we were reading this, one or two of you may have thought of that verse over in John 12:24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat 
fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. Anyone know who said that? Jesus said it. And to, to whom is he referring? Himself. Jesus was saying, I am a seed. I'm going to be planted so that my father can get an increase of the same seed. He can get a harvest. Was sin mentioned in that at all? No. Okay. What's even more interesting is the context of that passage. Some Jews, some Greek Jews or Hellenist Jews had come to the disciples and said, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. And Jesus responded when the disciples brought these men. Jesus responded with this verse. What? Jesus is coming out of left field again. He didn't say, here I am. You've seen me. He didn't even say to him what he said to Paul. You know, the spirit's got to reveal the Christ or you won't know him. Okay. He didn't even say that. He said, if you're going to know me, then understand this. Know this. There's a seed and it's got to be planted and there's an increase. Okay. So up until this class, we've been pretty much talking about the cross in relationship to bad things we had to get rid of. Sin, the law, failure, you know, all this type of stuff. The consequences and the penalty of our sin. But Jesus is saying, if you really want to understand me, do you really want to know me? then you must know the nature of the cross. And the nature of the cross is a planted seed. Okay? Which, in my mind, and I don't know, maybe perhaps yours, begins to get the wheels turning. Well, my goodness. The cross would have been necessary if there had been no sin. Can you see that God's got something a little more in his mind than our personal sin issues? And that that's not what his big thing is, is trying to keep us free from sin all the time. Yeah, praise the Lord. And so that you could actually get your mind renewed to this. And so even, doesn't mean you don't necessarily, that necessarily that you don't sin, but that when you do, it's not like the big thing that just overtakes you and eclipses your view of everything because you're freaked out about your own personal failures. You could actually get forgiveness, believe back into Christ and get up and go on Jesus. His view isn't always about you and your sin. His view is about Jesus. Okay, so we have this idea of a seed being planted and that the cross on one hand dealt with sin and the law and failure and separation from God and all that stuff. But on the other hand, the cross was about bringing forth something other than what got planted. Okay, now I've used this little parable or simile more than once, but it's like if you want an oak tree in your front yard, you don't bring in. Some kind of huge, you know, machine backhoe to dig up your front lawn and dig a hole 20 feet wide and 20 feet deep and throw in a tree, cover it up and water it and get a tree. If you want an oak tree, all you got to do is plant an acorn. You know, you know what a little acorn looks like? It's kind of like got this elliptical type shape, like an, almost like an egg and it's got a little cap on top. Okay. Well, that looks nothing like a mature oak tree. If you put a little acorn next to an oak tree, there's like no resemblance. No resemblance. But it's the same life. The life in the oak tr- in the in the acorn took on the form of an oak tree. Right? I mean, it didn't like it's not magic. <laughs> there's a light there's a there's a germ, there's a germ of life inside the acorn. And when it has the right elements, it takes on a whole different form. It increases and takes on a whole different form and and in time will do what? yield more acorns, yield an increase. 
life. Okay? Jesus come in the flesh was the seed. The new creation, the new man, the body of Christ, of whom we are all members, is the spiritual body. That's what came up out of the grave when Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay? Jesus came in the flesh, and he died as a man in the flesh. But the form that got taken in resurrection is spirit. It's a spiritual reality. Let's see. We'll look at it again. Um, First, it says in verse 36, that which you sow is not made alive except it die. Well, when you plant a seed, what ends up happening is the outer hull or the shell decomposes and cracks. It dies. It It falls to pieces. And with the darkness and the dirt and the water, something begins to happen inside the germ. And if that outer shell doesn't die or decompose, the inner life inside that acorn cannot begin to move and increase. You must have a certain death. Okay? So Jesus' body, okay, and his soul experienced death. But the nature, the life on the inside of him, was able to expand and increase because of it. Just like a seed. Just like a seed. Okay? Look at verse 42. This is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown in corruption. Okay, if you want resurrection life, there must be a, sow- a sowing that must that decays. Okay, that would be Jesus' death. It is raised in incorruption. Well, the most basic aspect of that that we understand when we get born again is that we're given eternal life. Incorruptible life. Right? Okay. Raised in incorruption. It's more than that, but I'm just saying this is something you actually do know on some level. It is sown in dishonor. Jesus died as a criminal. He was falsely accused. He was. He looked like his whole ministry was a defeat. Right? Completely dishonored. He was. He was um, dishonored. He was stripped of his reputation and credibility. Okay. But he was raised in glory, meaning the father raised him up because he was aware. And this is mentioned in Philippians chapter two, if you want to go there. But the father raises up the son because of the kind of nature he has and the kind of death he chose to die. Okay, so he's sown after the flesh, the flesh creatures all around him. Right. The disciples and the Pharisees and the priests and the Roman soldiers, they all dishonored him. But the spirit father, our heavenly father, honored him and raised him. Okay, so in the flesh you have dishonor, in the spirit you have glory. Okay? It was sown in weakness. Okay? Jesus had that eternal life in him, but his his physical body couldn't hold out against all that stuff he went through, and neither could his soul, so he had to give it up. Jesus wasn't like, okay. It wasn't a situation of Jesus saying, "Well, I'm really strong, you know, but I'm going to let you kill me." I'm really strong, you know. No, a human body the human frame is frail. It only can take so much, no matter who's living inside it. Okay? And so it was weak. He was unable, as a man of flesh, to sustain life under the conditions that were brought upon him. As a man in, in a body, come in the flesh, he could not prove his innocence. The Son of God could not prove his innocence. That's how weak he was made to be, being in a human body. Okay? He was so weak that he couldn't keep his disciples with him. They all misunderstood the whole situation and ran away. Okay, he was weak. He looked weak. He looked incapable. The Son of God looked incapable. 
very confusing to people who are looking after the flesh. Amen? I mean, it's really easy to read about the events of the crucifixion and go, those silly disciples, didn't they know that he was going to be raised from the dead? We all know he was raised from the dead. They didn't need to run away. But if you're in this, I guarantee you, I am willing to bet money, okay? Now, I don't know all of your lives. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I'm willing to bet money that most of us have been in a situation where either you or someone else was the Lamb of God, and it confused you and offended you, and you ran away because you didn't know what was going on. I've done it because as long as you know Jesus after the flesh, the cross is very confusing. It really doesn't make any sense at all. It really doesn't. Not when it happens to Jesus and not when it happens to you (laughs) in this way. So it was weakness, but it's raised in power. It's raised in power. Okay, there's a power of overcoming. There's a power of being able to, spiritually speaking, walk on water. There's a power that can break free from limitations of sin, of self, of your own past history, of your own personal failures. Break the limits of your own personality traits. Break the, break the boundaries and the bondage of family ties. And doesn't mean that you necessarily get out of all that stuff geographically or time in a time-space continuum, but you actually are able to live above it in Jesus, and you live forever there in Jesus, okay? It's a power that most people do not understand if you're looking after the flesh. You only understand it if you see what we've been taken out of, the flesh creation, and put in the new creation. That's the only time you can understand it, okay? It's not something you see with the eyes and hear with the ears, this is all spirit-related, okay? But it is something, it's a, it's, it's a change that happened at the cross. Okay, <clears throat> verse 44 sums it all up. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Jesus was the seed, the body that was sown. Now, Christ was also the spiritual body that was raised up, but only as a corporate body that has a head and members Jesus is the head of the new creation, the body, the new man, and he's the life inside the body, and we're the members of the body. Okay? So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Well, we know who the first Adam is. That's Adam. Okay? He was a living soul. Did you know he was a living soul before he sinned? He was just a soul. He was just a guy in the flesh. That's all he was. Just a guy in the flesh. Okay, but the last Adam, that's Jesus. Okay, Jesus who walked in Israel, you know, 2,000 years ago, that's Jesus. Okay, he's the last Adam because he took all of humanity into himself and brought it to the grave. The very last Adam. Okay, and then what God raised up was a whole new man in the spirit. It's very important to learn to see after the spirit. Amen. Can anyone say amen? (laughs) Besides me. Um, I think it's very important. Um, and this last Adam took the, all of humanity into himself and died, whether it sins or not. The whole thing was put away, okay? And he was made a life-giving spirit. He was a body, an earthly, natural body when he died. But when he was raised, he was called a quickening or life-giving spirit. That is the end of verse 45. The last Adam, the one who brought us all to an end in the flesh, was made a life-giving spirit. Whole new creation. So if you try and know Jesus after the flesh, you can't know him in resurrection form. 
and you can't know yourself, and you can't know your brother and sister. Can you see how that is? Uh, let's see. 47, the first man is of the earth earthy. So you can see him with your eyes, and you can hear him with your ears. You can hear everybody's, see everybody's preferences and their, per, their quirks and their personalities and their failures and their sins, Okay. But the second man is the Lord from heaven. Oh, and they're good points, you know. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. You can't see that one with your eyes. You can't hear him with your ears. You have to know him a different way. And that has to become your standard of judgment. If you embrace the cross, say, in, in saying, yes, Jesus died for me, this applies to you. Okay? This applies to you in the sense that God doesn't see you after the flesh. That's why he doesn't treat you any differently when you're doing well or when you're sinning. He doesn't treat you any different. Because he doesn't know you after the flesh. He knows you after Christ. He knows you after the cross. He knows you after the resurrection. This is how he knows you. Okay? I don't know if any of you have noticed that, but I've gone through seasons where I really was like in a sin thing where I was doing something that was really wrong. And the Lord would just like talk to me in the word like we were like we were like this. You know, and I'm like, I just got done doing something really wrong. And he's like opening the word and sharing all this stuff. I'm just like and I began to realize it was so cool, and I'm not, you know, I'm not justifying any sin here, but it took that for me, being a good girl that got raised in church, it took that for me to understand that God's relationship does not change based on me. Because he's not looking at me whether, whether, based on whether I'm sinning or not sinning. He's looking at me based on Christ. And Christ got raised from the dead as a new man, a new creation that has a head and a body. And I'm a part of that. And he's going to treat me like I'm a part of that. He's not going to ignore his own cross. Okay? He doesn't treat me like flesh. He treats me like spirit. Okay. Um, so, verse 48, as is the earthy, such are they that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Well, guess which one you are? You're heavenly. Now, your mind might be fleshly or carnal. Ah, light bulb over the head moment. Carnal mind, isn't I can't wait till I can sin next. Ha <laughs> ha. Carnal. Carnality. We use this word like it's so evil. It just means that you're a spirit creature that's dominated by a mind that looks at things after the flesh. That's what it means. That's what a carnal mind is. It's not that you're, you're full of evil thoughts all the time. Okay? It's that you are dominated by a creation that is no longer the creation of your birth. The creation of your birth is now a spirit creation. But you're being dominated in your mind by another creation as though you were born in another creation. Okay? That's, that's what a carnal mind is. That's why it's so important to have the mind renewed. Because you'll follow your mind. Okay? You're, no matter what God made you to be in Christ, you're going to follow your mind. So you need to have your mind renewed. Um, okay? Look at 49. As we have borne the image of the earthy, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. I believe this works out in many different levels, and I realize people use this passage of Scripture to talk about what we're going to be like in heaven and all that stuff, and I'm not here to argue that, but I am here to argue this, that right now, when we walk planet Earth, the heavenly should be stamped into our being so that we are inseparable from it right now. Maybe our, you know, maybe not because we're all ethereal, because we still have you know, flesh and bones and we deal with everyday stuff, but instead of bearing the image of Adam, which is knowing everything after the flesh and you know, being dominated by what we see and what we hear, we bear the image of the heavenly, which is we have conformed to the cross. We have conformed to his death in that we have put off sin and put off the relationship of the law and put off, you know, sense realm or carnal thinking, and we have put on 
our true spiritual state in Christ. Okay. Let's see. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And we are almost done, folks. I know it's the end of the week and we're all tired. I feel great because I rested all week being sick. I can go another three hours, but I'll have mercy on you. <laughs> Let's see. Now, we're thinking not sin. Think flesh versus spirit on everything we've talked about. Now, think about this. Flesh not necessarily being sin, though that it is the arena where sin does happen. Okay, But I'm not talking about sin necessarily. I'm just talking about flesh. Just you and me. People that we know each other. You know, if you slap someone's face, it goes smack. You know, flesh. Okay? Walking after the flesh versus walking after the spirit. That's what Romans chapter 8 is about. Now, think about, define for yourself in your mind the way you've always thought about what it means to walk after the spirit. God told me to walk between those two cars. God told me that I had to say such and such to so-and-so. And whenever people walk around and talk, talk about how God's told them to do this and they're doing what God told them to do now and they're doing what God... That's called being after the Spirit. But now think about what we've been talking about in reference to the cross. Okay? Flesh being on the, on the you know, one side of the cross and Spirit being on the other. That flesh was a creation that got put away. Okay? And Spirit is the, the substance or the ma- of, or the, yeah, the substance that makes up the new creation, the spiritual reality that is the body of Christ. What does it mean to walk after the Spirit, then? Anyone want to hazard a, a brave a guess on that one? It's not the same thing as being told what to do all the time. Yeah, it's in word out. It's, she's, she says... Um, Jennifer says, it's your source and your motivation. Yeah, that's right. What walking after the Spirit is in the context of what we're talking... I'm not saying that God doesn't tell us to do stuff, folks. Okay, no, don't get me wrong. If someone's, if God's told you to do something, you need to do it. Okay, But that's not walking after the Spirit because that's still being done in the flesh. <laughs> and it's okay because Jesus came in the flesh. So there's certain things that we do in the flesh. But what I'm saying is walking after the Spirit means seeing the reality of the resurrection and what the cross achieved and ordering your steps to be in conformity with it. Whether the Spirit tells you something to do specifically or not. What if you go two months and the Spirit doesn't tell you to do anything? What if He doesn't tell you to talk to anybody? What if He doesn't put anyone in your heart to pray for? What if He doesn't tell you what two cars to walk between? What if He doesn't give you a vision? What if He doesn't give you a prophetic word? What if He doesn't tell you, go to this college instead of that college? Can you still walk after the Spirit? Yes, you can. As a matter of fact, I am putting before you that I don't even necessarily think that all that stuff is walking after the Spirit. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. If he tells you what college to go to, you go. If he tells you to, you know, start a ministry, you start it. If he gives you a prophetic word, you utter it. But you can do those things and have an unrenewed mind. Oh, yes, you can. And not that we shouldn't do that. We should. We should obey the Lord on every level of our being. Amen. Absolutely. And we all should be following the Lord. And whatever instructions he gives us for our lives. But walking after the Spirit is seeing by revelation that you've been transferred out of an old flesh-based creation. You have been put in a a creation where nothing old applies. Not personality. Not mental aptitude. Not character flaws. Not quirks. Not yearly income earned. Okay? Not the fashion of your clothes. Not how many kids you have or whether or not, whether you send them to a homeschool, uh, private school or homeschool them. 
Okay, all that stuff is in the earth. But you see a raised new creation that had no history before Jesus came out of that tomb. It started then. And so, and it only is created out from Jesus. Only. Nothing else is added into it. It's only created in the resurrection, in Jesus, as he was raised from the dead. Okay? And that becomes your knowledge of yourself, of Jesus, of others. That's your knowledge. That's how you know Jesus. That is walking after the Spirit. Okay. Real quick, Romans chapter 8. Well... Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, that would be a raised reality, okay, we're on the life side of the cross, has made me free from the law of sin and death, because that's in me, right, in my flesh. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, oh, the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Translation, out of one creation into another creation. It affects your daily putting one foot in front of the other. The walk. Walking is putting one foot in front of the other. That's all it is. You can walk after the flesh and not necessarily sin. But your decisions are based upon earth circumstances. An example would be, I need to get a better job because I'm not making enough money. Not consulting the Lord. Not consulting if, you know, not being aware of a higher reality. So you take a job to make more money. And it takes you, let's say, this is an example. It takes you out of fellowship. It takes you out of the church that you need to be involved in to be, to be able to grow in the Lord. It takes you out of the relationships that the Lord's put in your life to manifest Christ with. You see what I'm saying? as opposed to making decisions based upon what is going to um, be conformable to and move with the reality of me walking in Christ. You see, walking after the flesh, after the spirit. That's kind of a silly example, but that's just, you know. Um, Here we go. Verse 5. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, that's a new creation, not just like the Holy Spirit telling you what to do, but a new creation, a reality from which that came forth from the seed that was sown, okay? They uh, are after the things of the spirit. They after the things after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, which means simply to have a mind that is dominated by a flesh-based knowledge. Remember 2 Corinthians 5? Know no man after the flesh. To know someone after the flesh is to be carnally minded. How many of us do you think in here are carnally minded? Probably all of us, to some degree or other. Amen? Now, I think we're all in different... I think we've all left. You know, we're not all saying, woohoo, that's the way I want to be. <laughs> but I'm just saying, we could all have... We could all probably grow in this. Amen? I know that I can. To be carnally minded or just flesh-minded. To be... To be... Um, to be... Affect, to have an affection for and to be completely wrapped up in. Um, and a flesh creation is what? Sin? No. It's death. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean you fall over dead and have a heart attack, right? What does it mean? It means that you're walking out of union with Christ. You're dead. You're not being motivated by Christ. You're being motivated by everything you see around you. You're being motivated by yourself. You're being motivated by people's problems. You're being motivated by your needs. 
You're being motivated by a good economy or a bad economy. You're being motivated by your likes and dislikes. You're being motivated by your preferences. You're being motivated by your insecurities. You're being motivated by someone else's insecurities because you know they're insecure or you tiptoe around it. You see what I'm saying? You're not being motivated by Christ, like you said. You're being motivated by everything that you experience with your eyes and your ears and your other senses. That's death. That's death. It's living according to an old creation that got passed away. But you'll continue to do it if your knowledge doesn't catch up with your state of being. Okay, so the renewing of the mind causes your knowledge to catch up to who you really are. Okay? Um, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That doesn't mean, you know, someone's so spiritual because they always have the right deep thing to say. Or they're spiritual because they always... You know, God tells them which two cars to walk between. Or they're spiritual, yeah, because they, they carry, they have a certain facial expression all the time and they never raise their voice. Or they're spiritual because they, God tells them all this stuff all the time and the only time they, you know, they ever say anything, all they ever say is what God told them yesterday. That doesn't mean they're spiritual. What this is talking about, to be spiritually minded, is to have a mind that has been renewed to the spiritual new creation. Okay? Because now you're coming into harmony with the new creation. And the life will flow because if you're living in Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ flows through you. You're in the new creation, and now you're living as though you were actually in the new creation. Okay? And life and peace are the result. Okay? Because the carnal mind, not the evil mind, not the sinful mind, just a a mind dominated by flesh, is enmity against God. You know, you don't have to sin to be God's enemy. No, none of us are God's enemy. But our minds are God's are enemies of God all the time. All the time. So they need to be renewed. I'm, I know I'm pounding this home, but, but this is just so important, I feel, to, to say today. Um, is an enemy against God. It is not subject to the law of God, and it cannot be. Because God's law operates in the spirit creation, in this new creation. And your flesh mind operates according to the laws of an old creation that Jesus crucified. So the, the two will always... It's like the shape of this knowledge doesn't fit in the hole in your brain. You know, it's like your hole in your brain is like, you know, like a square shape, and it's like trying to fit a marble into a coin slot or something. It just doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. You have to have a whole new way of seeing and a way of knowing. It's a whole different way. And information is the wrong word, but I'm just trying to get a point across here. Okay, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but I haven't sinned. I've never done anything wrong. This is why it's possible for someone to never do anything wrong and be completely out of sync with Christ and his life and abiding in him and someone else to really blow it and really be bad and lay hold of this reality. Really lay hold of it. And it seems like they get off scot-free. But they tuned in to where the life and peace is. They tuned into where the life and peace is. And again, I'm not saying, oh, it's okay, go ahead and sin. I'm saying the point isn't your sin. The point is where you're living. Are you living in a creation that God cannot interface with? Or are you living in a creation that comes out of the heart of Jesus? Because if you're living in the creation that comes out of the heart of Jesus, I am telling you, you will be in tune with God all the time, even if he doesn't give you some deep new revelation. Even if he doesn't give you a ministry, you'll be more in tune than people who do. Not that the point is being more or less. But I'm just saying, that's, that's where you strike the mother load, is when you're living in the spirit. Um, but, hallelujah, in case those of you are freaking out, oh, I'm in the flesh. But, verse 9, you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. You might be minded after the flesh. <laughs> you may still need your mind renewed, but you are in the Spirit. But I haven't had a vision. You're in the Spirit. 
Is Jesus in your heart? Well, yeah. Then you're in the Spirit. Okay? You may need to learn to walk it out, but you're there. He's not going to lose hold of you. Okay? And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life. This whole reality is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or give life to your mortal bodies. That's the flesh. By his spirit. Okay, here we come full circle. Here we come full circle. And I meant to stop right at five and I'm going over. Sorry, Tony. Um, There is a purpose for flesh, for you having a body, a flesh body. It's for Jesus to live in there. Okay? He, He crucified a flesh creation and did away with it as a means of being your source and your motivation and your identity and where you draw your strength and your understanding from. But he did not do away with it altogether in meaning that he hates it and thinks it's evil. It's a place for manifesting. It's a place for manifesting. You're a container for Jesus. And as you live in the spirit, his life will give, will actually quicken, motivate your mortal bodies. Motivate. Give energy to. Fill you with life. Life overflowing. With it comes the peace, the life, the understanding. All the qualities of Jesus that are inherent in Jesus are automatically flowing through you. Automatically. Okay? It's not about sin. Never was. It was about having a new spirit creation. Jesus died in the flesh, put away a flesh way of relating, raised up a spiritual body that didn't look anything like the body that died. And not only does it not look anything like it, you can't even see it with the same kind of eyes. You have to have a whole new set of eyes in your heart, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Okay? When you do and you're made conformable to it, it actually um, orders the quality of the life that comes out of you in your flesh every day. So now the flesh that was used to serve sin and the law becomes a holy instrument that, that carries the life of God. And manifest Jesus in the earth. God likes matter. After all, he created it. Okay? He doesn't like it to be your source. Okay? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for what you shared with us today. You know what needs to be understood right now and what's being shown in here.